We are so glad you're with us because this letter from James is so practical. And today we deal with something that is at the brass tacks level of generational impact. Literally, how you respond to this truth today has generational impact. If that doesn't get your attention, nothing will. Years ago, the singer John Mayer wrote a song called Gravity. And in it, he said, gravity is working against me. Gravity wants to bring me down. And there's a line where he said, I'll never know what makes this man with all the love that his heart can stand dream of ways to throw it all away. And that's what's at the core when it comes to this subject matter. Because last week, if you were with us, James opened his letter by saying, here's how to to approach adversity. Here's how to approach approach trials. Do it with joy that perseverance is going to grow. And perseverance is an essential to maturity. It's an essential to being crowned with light. You want life? you got to approach adversity with a sense of grit and perseverance and faith. Well, today, he makes a natural transition into what happens in trial is often temptation comes out of that because we're struggling. And we want something, in the words of the old Burt Reynolds song, cheap and superficial. And we want to to have a hit because our life is, is hurting and we want something to numb the pain, on and on and on. And so it's really logical that he then looks at temptation. And he says this in verse 13. He says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So he moves into this subject matter and he opens by saying, now listen, First of all, take personal responsibility for your temptations. And this is so practical because we want to we abdicate responsibility, don't we? That's the nature of humanity. Ever since in the garden, when Adam and Eve fell and Adam said, God, it was that woman you gave me is the reason that I eat the fruit. Ever since then, we want to say, it's my parents' fault. It, it, it is, God, you made me this way. You made me this way. It's not my my fault. You made me this way. And right off the bat, James says, now listen, God is not in the business of temptation. He is in the business of through the filter of his sovereignty and grace, he allows certain trials to come into your life. But temptation is on us. Two natures beat within my breast. The one is foul, the other blessed. The one I love, the one I hate, but the one I feed will dominate. You have within you a nature, and you know this is true, and there's something wrong with you that heads southward under the pole of gravity. You know that's true. You know that's true. How many of you have looked around the world and go, there's something wrong with the world? You looked at the world? If, if you haven't done that, read a news feed, watch the news, Spend a weekend with your relatives and you'll go, there's something wrong with everyone. There's something wrong with everyone. You know what that is? It is that what the Bible calls the sin nature that John Mayer was tapping into when he said, why is it? I mean, I've got such a good life. Why would I want to undermine it? What is that about? And this is what James taps into. And And he says this, he says, but each of you, verse 14, is tempted when by your own evil desire you're dragged away and enticed. 
So, you know, remember, some of us are old enough to remember the comedian Flip Wilson used to go around saying the devil made me do it. No, he did not all the time. Like, sometimes you, people always say the devil, they almost give him sovereign om, omnipresence like he's God. He's not. He's not everywhere. But he doesn't need to be. Because you know what? I have a southward pole, and you have it too, that sometimes does not even need the devil's temptation. I can find it myself. You know, and this, this means that that every one of us here, every one of us here, and you go through the seven deadly sins, every single person here, anger, envy, lust, laziness, greed, gluttony, pride, of those seven, everyone here has one or two or three of those or seven of those that you particularly struggle with. And if you're sitting there going, well, you know what, I, I don't really. Pride, there it is, right there. You struggle with pride. I mean, it's just, there's no way out. There's no way out. Each one is dragged away by their own evil desire. I hate to admit this, but I was born a serial adulterer. I, I, I just know enough about my life that I was born to, you take God out of my life, you take conscience out of my life, you take love out of my life, and I would have been a serial adulterer. How much does that make me like about every other man ever born? It does. We're jerks. We are just born that way with that nature. And it's my responsibility to deal with that. It doesn't mean, you know what, God, you made me that way. That's just the way you made me. Sorry. There's no responsibility for me in that. And this is why when it comes to the subject matter, know thyself. And if you have trouble with chocolate chip cookies, don't go to crumble cookie and sniff at the, at the counter. Don't do that. Know your enticement. Know, know how you're, you're tempted. There was a guy who everybody in the office knew that he was on a diet. And one day he comes in with a dozen cream-filled donuts. And he said, the receptionist said, I thought you were on a diet. And he said, well, I was. But I, I came up to the building today and I said, God, if, uh, or I passed the bakery once today and I said, God, if you don't want me to have a donut, just don't let there be a parking space in front of the bakery. And he said, sure enough, the eighth time around the block, there was a parking space in front of the bakery. You know, you have to know yourself. You have to know and then take responsibility for these choices have huge, 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 huge implications because here is one of the core truths I want you to see today. When it comes to temptation, there is always more at stake than what you think in the moment. This is the truth that we, we ought to walk away from here today, take a picture of that, whatever you got to do. To, and I just, God, please, I don't want to talk like this when I'm 32 years old. You know, please don't let me smoke. And it was one of my And then the other one was I'd seen what I just, I didn't, I didn't stay away from alcohol for anything that had to do with virtue. It was fear. I've seen what it does. I don't want to be a drinker. Please, God. Don't let me do that. And I can tell you today, nothing to do with virtue. To the best decisions of my life, I've never smoked a thing and I've never drank alcohol. And I can tell you it is huge to your life. If that's you today, students, and you're hearing this, you can't drink the second drink if you don't drink the first. But many a person has taken that first drink and one was too many and a thousand was not enough. A thousand was not enough. Why? Because there's more at stake in that moment than you think. Now think about this. Think about how many movies are built on this notion that more is at stake than what you 
think in the moment. How many times you watch the movie and you say, girl, don't go down that hallway. Don't get in that car. And the whole tension is built around. There's more at stake here. You remember the first time you saw Star Wars? Star Wars is totally built around this tension. Remember the first time? I remember 1977 going to Star Wars and I was hooked. I was mesmerized by Star Wars, this essentially a Western in space is, is all it is. Remember the, first time, remember the first time you heard this? Here it's coming. Got it, guys? It's coming. There he is. Oh, isn't that just ominous? Isn't that just ominous? And that sound right there elicits this tension of this foreboding uh, opportunity that Luke had. It actually came in the second movie, which is the best of all the Star Wars movies, The Empire Strikes Back. And you remember, remember, this, remember this interaction where Luke is backed into a corner by Darth Vader and he says, Luke, you can destroy the emperor. He has foreseen this. It is your destiny. Join me and we will rule the galaxy as father and son. And he says, there's no other way. There's no other way. And that tension in that moment is, yes, Luke, there is another way. There's got to be a third movie. Please don't give in to this. And there's got to be, you know, unfortunately, Jar Jar Binks and then the Andor and things that we wish didn't happen with the Star Wars franchise, but did. And, and that, what is that whole thing built around? It's built around this tension of, this is your destiny. No, it's not. This is your destiny. No, it's not. You have a choice within this. And in that moment, you may not see the implications of your decision. Or do you remember something a little bit more recent? Remember the, when you saw the Lion King and little Simba is having that dialogue with his uncle Scar. And Simba says, not knowing that Scar wants to have the, the kingdom, he's saying to his uncle, my dad has promised all of this is mine. I mean, it is a reenactment of Matthew chapter four and Jesus' temptation. All these kingdoms will be yours. And Scar says, well, have you seen the elephant graveyard? And Simba says, no. He said, well, that's only for the really brave lions. And Scar is baiting the hook, isn't he? Because he knows he can, he can tap into Simba's insecurity. And he says, oh, your father didn't tell you about that because that's only for the really mature, fearless, courageous lions. And pretty soon he grabs Nala, Simba does, and they go off to explore the banned elephant graveyard. And he gets into all kinds of trouble. And what is that about? That is about Simba didn't know there's more at stake here. There is a Broadway Lion King show on stake here. And there is so much at stake here. And we say that, but we're laughing. But, but we say, you know what? Just like in the movies, there's always more at stake. Always. Always more at stake. We see this now on social media when someone's tempted to say something on social media and it costs them their job, right? There's more at stake than what they think by that little post. And that teacher's out of a job now because they posted the wrong. I mean, we could see this all over, all over, all over. James says, temptation is never isolated to the individual. You're being enticed. And look at this, verse 15. Then, after desire, after desire has conceived. So this 
weakness or vulnerability or desire of yours meets opportunity, and that gives birth. What does it give birth to? This entity called sin. And we don't like that word today. We like to say, I made a mistake. You know what? Putting the paper in the copier the wrong way, that's a mistake. Committing adultery is a sin. That's not a mistake. That's way beyond a mistake. And so we like to say that today, kind of soften the impact. He says, no, it gives birth. And sin, when it is full grown, always, always, always kills relationships. It always kills happiness. It always kills contentment. It always kills peace, kills joy. It, it always kills. The virus of sin, when it meets opportunity, always kills what God wants to give you. And that's goodness. That's what God wants to give you is goodness. Now, I know some of you are saying, wow, boy, is this timely. Because maybe you're facing that temptation right now that is in the realm of anger or envy or lust or laziness or greed or gluttony or pride. And you need to listen. Listen really close. When it is full grown, it gives birth to death. That is always the impact of sin. Some sins are more deadly. They have a higher cost to them than others. There, there is certainly that reality. But look at this, look at this. So don't be, verse 16, be deceived. What's the key? This is brilliant. Look at the key. Don't be deceived, my brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. God doesn't say, you know, I'm in a good mood today. I'm going to bless you. He doesn't change. He is always wanting to fuel goodness into your life. Now, if you grew up in guilt-based religion, you don't believe that. Your inner language says it's conditional, though. If I'm a good boy or a good little girl, that's when the goodness gets released by God. But if I don't earn it, then God doesn't release his goodness. No, 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 no. This is really important. Just as we saw last week, God always listens to your prayers without condition. He wants, he wants to bless you with the things he wants to give you. The same is true of his goodness. And this is really, really, really important because it is the key to having power over your weaknesses. The key to having power over your weaknesses is this, is this right here. Look at this. The, the key is how much confidence do I have in my heavenly father? Can I trust God and he's not holding out on me? That God wants to give me goodness. God wants the things that I was born with desires to have. Can I trust him with that? Third Disney movie reference of the day. You didn't know Disney movies were this biblical, but they are. Sort of. Uh, Finding Nemo. What is the plot of Finding Nemo built around? What is it built around? Nemo thinks his dad's holding out on him. And the brilliance of that story is where does it land him? in the openness of freedom, that he's free. That's a, that's, a, that's a myth. That's a myth. They do what you want and you'll be free. No, it'll get you into a 10-gallon aquarium because sin always enslaves. It kills freedom, actually. It promises freedom and then kills it. And the whole movie's built around this idea, I can't trust my dad. 
And that is why, that is why this question, is God holding out on me, is at the core of your weakness with temptation. Because temptation comes when we try to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. I can't trust God. My name is Adam. My name is Eve. I can't trust God. It, it, the, the adversary says, really? Isn't God holding out on you? What was the basis of that temptation? Isn't God holding out on you? No, if you, no, there are things that are out there for you that if you just eat of this right now, that, that you will experience things. God is holding out on you. And the basis for every temptation is a legitimate need. I'm going to meet it my way. I'm going to meet that because I don't trust that in his time, God will do what he said he would do. And which is what faith is. Faith is God will do what he said he would do. And so look at these. Companionship, legitimate need. Security, legitimate need. Intimacy, legitimate need. Success, legitimate need. Financial prosperity and goals, legitimate need. Friendship, inner peace, excitement. Those are all legitimate. Those are desires God put in your heart. But porn is a way to get pseudo-intimacy. Greed is a way to get pseudo-success. Boasting is a way to get pseudo-esteem. We could go on and on. I'm going to do it my way, God, because I don't trust that, that you're going to give me what I want. And that's why every time you face a temptation, it is not just a battle of your desires. It's a battle of your faith. What do you believe about God? And this is why I am anti-religious, because religion pounds into people. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. And what that causes people to do is just give in, because I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. You remember years ago, there was a study done, a longitudinal study done, where researchers took a bunch of kids, and they brought them into a room where these piping hot chocolate chip cookies were. And what they wanted to do is they wanted to find a correlation between the ability to delay gratification and how that played out in life. That if I'm willing to delay gratification now, how does that affect my life long term? And so this was a long term study. And they brought kids in, promised them, if you will sit here for a half an hour and not eat this one cookie, we will bring five cookies in. And so it's hilarious. If you've ever seen the video of this, you see the camera on these kids and some just covered their eyes. Just covered their eyes. Actually, some kids started singing, there are no cookies here. There really are no cookies here. Some of them would lean over and one little guy just put his head on the table and he put his tongue out like that. Just put his tongue out. And some of them touched and pokes. Uh, uh, and then they watched these kids throughout their adolescence into young adulthood. And sure enough, there was a correlation between the ability to delay gratification, give up the one cookie for the five cookies later, and how happy they were in life, how prosperous they were in life, how, their ability to say no later in life. And look at that. If you're right now wanting a cookie that you know you shouldn't have, the issue is do you believe that God's going to bring five cookies when, if you'll wait on him? That God wants to bless that intimacy you're longing for? You know, like pornography is never about the image. It's about the pseudo-intimacy. And then the human body connects to that at an addictive level, and then it becomes a vicious cycle. That is really about I don't think I'm worthy of intimacy. 
I'll find it myself. I'll find it myself. And it's the reason why Viagra, one of its biggest markets of Viagra is with 20-something young men. You know why? Because we have a whole generation now that has been trained to believe God's not, God's not going to give you what you want. You better get it yourself. Temptation is never about just the moment. It's about the long-term implications. It's never just about you. It's about the generations you affect. And it's about the goodness of God. Temptation is always about, God, are you going to give me what it is I desire? Now look at this. Look at the opportunity in this. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be the first fruits, which is just a word for that you might be the first off the assembly line of what God's work does in a person's life, that we might be kind of a first fruits of everything that he has created. So in other words, what he says then is this. He says, the temptation opportunity is this. I get to see what my desires still are. This is, I, I, oh my gosh, this is, not just, this is not just about cheating on that income tax return. This is about, I really want to be esteemed to what money can bring, and I, I'm still insecure. I say I'm a Christ follower, but the fact is my desires are still not in line. I, now I know that. And within that, you surrender. What does he say? You surrender through the word of truth. What's that word of truth? That by faith I trust God's going to give me the cookies in his time. And when I fail, his grace is available to me to sustain me even when I fail. That's the hope. And this is so important because I'm just going to guess. I'm just going to guess there's someone here who last night did something they shouldn't have done. I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say that this is not a totally pure audience listening to me right now, that there are some actual sinners here, okay? And you say, oh my gosh, I needed this message last Sunday, not this Sunday, because what I did last night, oh, I feel so guilty. The opportunity and temptation is, okay, now we know what your desires really are. Now we know. Now, we, we know this. You, you, you can't cloak them. That fall, you know what they are. That's, oh yeah, that's where we start. The first task of anything is to find reality. And then out of that, do I trust that God's goodness and grace are still available to me unconditionally? Because what happens with guilt and shame as it piles up is we just say, well, daggone, you've done this, you've done this. I eat one cookie, I might as well eat two. I might as well eat 10. I might as well eat 20. That's what we do. That's what we do with guilt. Guilt never saved anyone. This is why religion, Paul said in Colossians, it has, a, it has an appearance of wisdom, you know, with all its rules, but it doesn't restrain evil. Why? It doesn't restrain indulgence because all it does is, is add guilt. How many of you have given in to stuff because, you know, you know, I might, I might, and I might as well. But then there's the word of truth. When the word of truth says, yeah, that's right, last night you gave in. But grace is available. That sin has already been paid for. Yeah, I know. And he knows, by the way. That sin has already been paid for. Now, Hein, the German poet, once said, God will forgive me, that's his job. And you're sitting there going, I know, I don't need to hear that grace thing because I'll just take advantage of it. 
Not if you understand grace. And what will happen, look at this, look at this, look at this. What will happen is, is this. When by faith you apply grace to your guilt and you do it again, and you do it again because your faith says his grace is greater than my sin, and you do it again and again and again and again, there's a day when grace wins and you're reborn. He chose to give us birth through the war of truth. Don't let your sin keep you from him. Make it be an agent where you bring, you come to him and say, nothing in my hands I bring simply to your cross I cling. There's an old hymn that says, he breaks the power of canceled sin. You see what grace does? Grace doesn't just forgive us when we fall. It breaks the power of canceled sin. Because there will come a day when you give in to grace. And this is what Dallas Willard so brilliantly acknowledged. And that is that God's goodness becomes so pronounced in your life, you don't want to commit adultery anymore. You don't want to use porn anymore. You want the real thing. You, You don't want to cheat. You don't want to lie. You don't, want, you don't want to cut corners. The desire of your heart has changed because you've been birthed through the word of truth. And there are 500 people close to you right now who will tell you, listen to what he's saying because it is the absolute truth. I've experienced it in my life. We're going to go into communion and I want you to, I want you to see something. I, I want you to hear something. Listen to these words uh, from Dallas Willard and then from... C.S. Lewis, two two of my favorite authors. Listen to these words. Listen to these words. This world is radically unsuited to the heart of the human person. It is because of this that a healthy faith before God cannot be built and maintained without heartfelt celebration of his grace and his goodness to us. Celebration heartily done makes our deprivations and sorrows smaller and we find in it great strength to do the will of our God because his goodness becomes so real to us. Listen, listen. If we don't discipline ourselves for wholesome, regular celebration of his goodness, sin will begin to look good. He's right. The issue in temptation is always, is God holding out on me or can I trust him? He wants to bring every good and perfect gift into my life. He wants to meet legitimate needs in legitimate ways. C.S. Lewis put it this way. If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the scriptures, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy and goodness is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a vacation at the beach. We are far too easily pleased. Maybe today your growth has been your your trust in grace. 
And today you walk out of here and say, I'm going to trust God's goodness, not my plan anymore. He gives his best to people who are willing to wait for it. And if that's you today, today will have been very, very worth it. Because what's at stake in the moment is always more than the moment. Who's at stake in the moment is always more than just you. And why it matters is because faith is really the issue. Faith is really the issue. Do I trust in God's goodness? He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. We change as human beings. We change when we watch enough where we want to, when we're graced enough when we get to, but most often we change when we hurt enough where we have to. And if today this message causes you discomfort, you're in a good place because you have a chance to be reborn. You have a chance to surrender and say, Jesus Christ, give me new birth through your word of truth. I'm going to claim that over my life. Because when you apply grace and apply grace and apply grace, and it feels scandalous, because that's what grace is, it's scandalous. One day grace will win. Grace will win, and you'll be reborn. In the corners of the room are the symbols of his grace, his body and his blood. He paid for your sin. No longer was sin rolled to the future by the Lamb's offering. The Lamb of God came and he took it all and he absorbed it into his body. He was separated from his heavenly Father. He died your death. He died your death. And sin no longer has to be death for you because there's grace. And today, I want to challenge you to go, after I pray, get up, take some of those symbols, take, the, take that bread and that juice, go back to your seat and say, Jesus, no longer will guilt and shame rule my life. I am trusting in your grace. I'm trusting in your grace. Your goodness is coming after me. Amen? Let's pray. In our brokenness, it can be despairing, Father, and you know that. And you had this brilliant plan to say, I'm absorbing all the penalty of sin into the, into the body of the Holy One, the, the Lamb that has once for all come. Once for all. No more lambs. No more lambs. This is the final lamb. Absorbing death. And Father, I pray today for that guy or gal who feels so hopeless. For those of us here who I, I, they just can't stop being dishonest, they can't stop being greedy, they can't stop being lazy, can't stop using porn, can't just that today is a day surrender started. And the surrender is bringing all my guilt to your grace trusting that I cannot earn your goodness. It is the free gift of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. That's scandalous. Our inner religious voice says, no, 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 no. You've got to earn it. No, no. Because the Lamb has come. Not anymore. So today, we acknowledge the symbols of your grace in your body and blood, and we receive your goodness. We don't have to be faithful the rest of our life. All we have to do is tap into your goodness today. That's it. Just today.
and tomorrow will be a new day. And your grace will be available to us all over again. Thank you for the words of James. Brilliant. Just absolutely brilliant. And we pray that we are added to the millions and millions of people the last 2,000 years who have been given hope from his words. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. Have a great week, everybody. We'll see you next week.